0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
1: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
0: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
2: I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. <laughs> Crime Writers On is the original True Crime Review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, he said he'd reform the troubled L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Instead, he came to embody its darkest values. We'll review Imperfect Paradise, The Sheriff. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin.
3: Hello, Rebecca.
2: Why are you just sound so down?
3: Because I went to the dentist today.
2: Yeah? <gasps>
3: and Ooh. they didn't, didn't do any drilling or anything like that, but you know the thing when they take the pick and they go into your gums? I love that. They go all over. Yeah. And, and then they,
2: and it, like uh, three, three, two, four, one, two, three. And four.
3: you're checking your pocketing. Yeah. I, I, don't, I didn't hear any big numbers, but my whole gum line just all swollen. Just from poking around and stuff.
2: Did you take any Advil?
3: I took some Advil.
2: Yeah? It didn't really,
3: I mean, I think it's helping a little bit, but I feel like I played a whole bunch of indoor soccer. Yeah. And, you know. Oh, no, you didn't. I didn't Wait, question.
2: No. Does your dentist use like scraping, drilling, water, I mean, water, scraping, laser? What's the technology?
3: No, he just uses the metal oh, I
2: tool have a that huge have of, been using. Just
4: that ultrasound stuff. I no, love yeah. that. I
2: like the straight scraping. Yeah. I hate the water. I hate the ultrasound. I like the straight scraping. It's the only thing that I works. I hate all of it. Oh, really? Yeah. I think the scraping is the only thing that works, to be completely honest with you. I love it.
3: Well, I did have a little bit of an infection, as <gasps> he says. Yeah. So he goes in, digs around, says, I got the infection out. So I'm like, okay, Ew. I Ugh. guess
2: that's
1: how that works. Ew. He wouldn't lie. We're going to charge for that shit. This is we? the dentist <laughs> episode, because I was at the dentist yesterday and had a similarly unpleasant experience. Wow. <laughs>
3: well, but this the last time I went was the time I had to get x-rays. He looked at the x-rays. He goes, you know, you've got a really tiny little cavity there. And I'm like, well, do I have to come back for that? And he's like, no, I think I can take care of that right now. And I don't even need Novocaine. And I was like, the, the fuck you what? <laughs> oh. And he's like, no, no, it's not anywhere near the nerve. And so and I'm thinking, I'll say yes, but I might really look foolish later when I said, well, I told him it's okay to not give me Novocaine.
2: Yeah. Are
3: and you okay? Worked out okay. But yeah. I, I, was, I was sweating quite a bit.
2: You're a dentist, baby. I am
3: because I think I'm not. I, this and you guys might have heard this that people with red hair have a resistance to Novocaine
2: and and, and yeah, dental anesthetic. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and I'm always like, okay, here's the Novocaine, and it's a little numb. Like this shouldn't hurt, and I'm always like, oh, that you don't hurts. Have you don't have red hair. You don't
1: have red hair, Kevin. I
3: don't think only red hair people, but but that that is a thing. <laughs> you know, you're just
2: afraid that you latent have like red hair, like recessive gene or some shit.
3: Your Honor, I think I can testify to the amount of pain that drill does in my tooth.
2: Okay, you're dental baby, but by the way, you also like just started flossing like recently. So
3: yes, what is this twine that I'm supposed
2: to? I, I Kevin, I'm you and I are the same. I floss religiously, and I got to tell you, it changes the whole. So when I stop, when I stop, yeah. I'm one of the people when I stop flossing for like a week, everything fucking goes downhill. Yeah. Right. So I started flossing religiously. It changes the whole experience. It's really wonderful. It really is. Also with us <laughs> is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, fellow dental baby, and author of The Final Curtain, uh, the second in the Piper Green Exeter Mystery Series of Novels, Lara Bricker. Hello, Laura.
1: Hello. Yeah, I am a big dental baby too. Um, <laughs> I actually have my own nitrous oxide mask at the dentist because I get so nervous. I, I keep it in the glove compartment of my car. So yesterday I went in to get a crown put on mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, we're just going to have to cut off part of your gums right now to make this fit. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I could smell like flesh burning. And I was like, what's that smell? They're like, oh, we're like cauterizing. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) So my face also, like when I woke up this morning, like this side of my face was like, I'm like, like, it's never a good sign when you're still in the dentist chair and they say, do you want us to go get you some ibuprofen or Tylenol before you leave? And I'm like, I can't even swallow because like, I'm numb. And they're like, you might want to take this. Wait, yeah. wait. I That'll be $75. Rewind. Did you say you have your own
2: nitrous oxide mask yeah. in the trunk of your car?
1: Yeah, because the dentist charges you for it every time. So they tell you to keep your mask. So I get the nitrous when I have a big procedure because I get too stressed out at the dentist and they give me a little AirPod and I can listen to music. Is that, and then is they that they say, like
3: the kind of ball, like you go to a bar and you <laughs> keep the stein yes. behind the bar, like Okay, With that's your name mine. On it. Number okay. 56. And yeah. Or like okay. when you go to the stage fair. Say, and
1: you buy the- it probably
3: comes in use at those Jimmy Buffett <laughs> concerts too, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. And they're like, how's the level? And I'm like, well, this isn't covered by insurance and I'm paying full price. I'm like, Put it up a little, please. It's funny,
3: I got the same thing at the proctologist.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> I cannot wait for the reviews we get after this podcast.
2: And finally, well, our- you
3: don't have to go that far away from the microphone when you laugh. People think it's just <laughs> that I've just killed you. That's <laughs> oh, all. It's
2: not so much the cackling, <laughs> it's just it's death. Like, yeah. our finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of finally. the city trilogy of novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcasts, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby.
4: Hello, Rebecca. No dental stories for me. Yeah, but do
2: you floss? Yes or no? Are you a flosser? I find that if you floss,
4: it makes the uh, dental hygienist visits go a lot more smoothly.
2: Correct. And if you don't floss, you have to make up some fucking story about why you didn't or like why your gums might be. Well, you just
1: you
4: pay the price, man. Or or
3: or you can fake having COVID symptoms and then you're like, I've got three weeks to get on this. Yeah. No, it's kind of like what I Yeah, That's what I did. You
1: lie. It's like when you go to the regular doctor and they say how many glasses of wine a week do you drink? And you're like, I don't know. Yeah, they triple it. You, they triple it no matter what. They And then me that. you go to the dentist and they say, do you floss
2: regularly? And I say, every few days. Okay, so I had my, okay, I know we're going way off topic, but I had my <laughs> physical last week. And, I, and they said, how many drinks do you have a week? And I said, I'm not going to lie, at least 20. <laughs> and she looked at me, she was like, really? I was like, listen, everybody lies. Everybody lies, right? So I'm going to say I have like one or two a day and then maybe like three a day on the weekend. So if you add that up, that's like 15, maybe sometimes 20. I know that if I say five, you're going to triple it anyway. So I'm going to just tell you it's between 15 and 20, sometimes more like I'm just not going to lie to you anymore. And she was like, all right, It's just like, tch, tch, tch. I was like, wait a minute. Are you tripling it now? It's saying 60 yeah.
3: figured,
2: 85. 60 drinks. <laughs> <laughs> i just like I'm, like, I'm like, I probably shouldn't have said yeah. that. So they
3: know to put a red flag on you. Yeah. Your, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: Honestly. Yeah. Never lie to your doctor. That's the thing that I've learned. And that's the advice that I have for you. Mm. Don't lie. There's no point. Don't lie. Just like, don't tell your partner you've had an orgasm when you've
1: hadn't. There is no
2: point. There's no point.
1: Wow, this is like an episode of like this Married is... with Podcast or something <laughs> happening right now that I, I just wasn't really prepared for
2: tonight. Correct. Correct. Just say I'm not gonna let's end it right now. Let's say I wanna go to sleep.
0: Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, do those
1: keggle exercises. Correct. Yeah. Correct.
3: Somewhere Alex Veneva is like Losing his shit. That's right. He's like, when are these guys going to talk about me?
2: Alex Villanueva is going to, like, sue us right now. He's sick. Of this, for this content being adjacent to his content.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he'll, he'll uh, give us the opportunity to improve our...
2: All right. So Kevin
3: woke um, aside- far left, I think. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, yeah. All right. So, Kevin, aside from uh, dental content, we do have actual content coming up on this show. But what is happening on Thursday's show this week, Kevin?
3: Well, on Thursday, we're going to be talking about the Netflix documentary series crime scene, The Texas Killing Fields.
2: Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that. But I'm also looking forward to getting past all this medical talk and getting to this podcast topic. So I think we should get to it. I'm going to drop that first clip right now. What do you think, Kevin? Do it. Let's get it done. Leading off,
5: Sheriff, are you going to answer the question? You placed your picture up there mm-hmm. alongside two other people, mm-hmm. and you talked about it in terms of a criminal investigation. Mm-hmm. Is this Los Angeles Times inve- uh, reporter under investigation by the department? Well, the
0: act is under investigation. All parties to the act are subjects of the investigation.
2: Instead of addressing an excessive force incident. The L.A. County Sheriff uses a press conference to intimidate the reporter who wrote the story. It's the latest example of how the county's top law enforcement official has used his office to retaliate against his perceived enemies.
5: Why do you think he's doing this? It's like an enemies list. He was investigating anybody who was critical of him. But it all has to come back to the sheriff and the department being so out of control that a thing like this could happen.
2: Sheriff Alex Villanueva won office in 2018 campaigning as a reformer who'll clean up the scandal-plagued department. After criticism he was doing the opposite, Villanueva doubled down on his efforts to abuse his power, vilifying the press and investigate his rivals.
5: And when Alex Villanueva became sheriff, a lot of people thought, finally, someone's going to do that clean house, root out corruption, and reform this department. But that's not what happened.
2: In Perfect Paradise, the sheriff from LA Studios examines the controversial head of one of the nation's largest law enforcement agencies. Host Frank Stoltz interviews Villanueva and talks to his critics to learn how he wields his power going from a progressive sheriff's candidate to a right-wing media darling. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Imperfect Paradise, The Sheriff. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Laura, the opening scene of this podcast is where we hear The Sheriff talking about investigating a reporter for covering his own
5: department. Wait a minute. The matter is under investigation. What kind of answer was that? There's nothing more I enjoy. And questioning a powerful person who appears to be blowing smoke up my ass.
2: How did you feel about that scene and what the sheriff was talking about doing there?
1: Well, I have to say that hooked me into this podcast right away because, as somebody who gets enraged by injustice and I have a real trigger for things like this, I was like, "What the ever-loving bleepity fuck is this?" Because, I mean, we've seen a lot of attacks on the media in recent years, but. This was very bold to do this at this press conference. But what I really liked about this scene is that we then hear Frank Stoltz, who is the host of this podcast that we're listening to, who, by the way, is my new freaking hero, who continues to come back at the sheriff, questioning him about what he is saying about this L.A. Times reporter. And that, to me set up the tone for this whole podcast going forward, because we know from the beginning that we have somebody here in Frank, our host, who is not going to be afraid to ask the tough questions. But also, is just kind of like, I think he said, like, I don't like it when people bullshit me. And I'm like, me neither, Frank. Mm. So right off the bat, we know this is like this guy has like an overreach. The sheriff is totally out of bounds. And to me, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a rage-inducing sort of thing to listen to, but also this is going to be really interesting and a good story to listen to.
3: Well, I was also enraged, Lara, about the uh, the first scene. What it, it told me, actually didn't get it at the time, but what we realize now is that it's just an example of how he deals with all of his enemies, right? That he threatens to investigate them and put them under arrest, whether it's the watchdog that is, you know, looking at what's going on inside his department or the politician's, where they like swoop in and take their phones and all this other stuff. It's just really outrageous. And it's obviously going to catch the attention of, uh, well, the press and public officials, but also the public, I believe.
2: So Toby, you asked a question in your notes where you said one of the things that you're wondering about the sheriff and who does he represent. Uh, What did you mean by that note?
4: Well, I towards the end of the podcast when he's running for reelection, Frank spends a little bit of time talking about how uh, Sheriff Villanueva has the support of people within the sheriff's department, like the sort of rank and file officers or whatever, which got me to thinking like, who is he responsible for? Like who does he have? Who's is the answer to? Right. Cause my feeling would be, well, it's the public. He gets elected by the public, you know, the idea of public safety and public order, should be sort of his top priority. On the other hand, I feel like the people within the sheriff's office who are supporting him are like, no, he's going to put us first. He's going to look out for our interests, and that's why we support him. And, you know, I mean, I guess the actual answer is some mix of the two, right? And that every sheriff has to kind of balance those two things because they're not always working in concert, right? Even the most well-run sheriff's department, I'm sure – You've got to balance some things like that. And this is not the best run sheriff's department. So I think that becomes even more sort of fraught. And you do later on, if I'm remembering correctly, you hear about the things that he did that should have raised red flags, maybe for people who had supported him at the beginning, like where they had taken away these huge flashlights that prison guards used to have because they were using them as weapons, like he gave them back, explicitly saying they needed to have everything they can to defend themselves.
3: Yeah. Yeah, without those flashlights, imagine how many broken hands there would be. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yes. more broken so, hands,
4: yeah. I, I don't know. I just thought that was – he brings up a whole bunch of things that I thought were kind of interesting as sort of subtext in this. I, I kind of listened to a few, but I just kind of found myself – and sometimes I just pause because I – realize I was thinking and not paying attention and I had to rewind a little bit. But I I think that's a mark of a, of a smart podcast though, is that it does bring up these things without like totally drawing your attention to it.
2: I actually found myself having legitimate questions about this guy's personality. And I want to throw it out there because I, if I have one question about flaws in the podcast, it's only because I found myself with more questions. I really want to know more Sort of about this because Villanueva, you know, he's sort of described as this bait and switch character, right? Mm -hmm. Who ran as this like outsider reformer who was done wrong by this department that he saw as very corrupt. He was kept down because he wasn't promoted, because he like, you know, did all these things as like this rabble rouser inside, you know, promised all these things. He was embraced by all these sort of like reformer outside groups, and that's how he got elected. And then he did all these shocking things. But at the same time, he did reach out to, you know, the anti-corruption jail guy to get him to run the jail system on the surface. Like he, he did do the ice thing. He did do some sort of surface things. And yet he also hired the domestic abuser buddy back. He did the flashlight thing. He sort of has this weird split thing. What being an outsider who's kind of been kept down can do if you've been corrupted by poisonous influences along the way. It's this very interesting mix of like well-intentioned corruption or something. It doesn't seem like the kind of pure evil bad guy stuff. And I mean, maybe it is, but there's there's it's a more complicated mix there that seems more difficult for people to explain in the podcast than just a straight like oh he's a dick he's a douchebag as some of like the the evil law enforcement characters we've encountered in other podcasts, if that makes sense. Like I'm not excusing it in any way. It just seems more nuanced, and even people in the podcast talking about him seem to have more difficulty grappling with it because they supported him and then they didn't. You know what I mean?
4: Well, I feel like there's this weird grab bag of policies that he supports, and they don't fit easily within either left-leaning or right-leaning police stuff. So it's hard to tell how sincere he is about stuff, but like wanting to not have an ICE representative in the jail, you know, that is something that the left-leaning voters want to hear a bunch of this other stuff, you know, again, including the flashlights, but also, you know, covering for deputy gangs, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, you know, his general, his attitude towards excessive use of force, Complaints. Yep, all these things are, are much more sort of right leaning. So, I mean, I kind of had the same question as you did, which is: Is this this really eccentric guy who has these very varied things that he's interested in, and he's sort of genuinely this is this is how he sees things, or is there some kind of like political? Play he's making? Or again, is it bait and switch? Does he run on a, a few things and accentuate those while at the same time he's just like everybody else when it comes to these larger things of sort of controlling your officers?
3: Yeah, I feel like yeah, his problems are more than professional, but throughout his career... As what do you mean,
2: wait, what do you mean by that?
3: Well, I don't want to say he has personal issues, but I'm saying that his problems are not just limited to how he conducts himself in office, Mm. right? Because I feel like as you look back over his career, he's had a history of accusing people in power of being morally corrupt and keeping him down. And it seems like he's already been kind of playing this victim and this moral superiority at the same time. Mm. Now he's in power and he thinks he wants to do a B or C, but as soon as he starts getting pushback from the politicians, he starts this drift to the dark side, and I think at some point, I don't know, I guess I'm of the opinion that he went into this thinking he's a progressive, maybe not using that label, but that he was going to do those things. A
2: reformer. A
3: reformer, and then as he found the limits of what he could do in reality and the other external forces lined up against him, he started reverting to the same stuff that all of his predecessors did, but then also adding on to that with being very vindictive and trying to get back at people.
2: So, Kevin, here we are. Let's take a quick break for the business section. Mm -hmm. What have we got going on in our Patreon right now?
3: Well, in our Patreon, we have the Crime Writers on After Show. And this week, we're going to be talking about a medical mishap that our friend Toby Ball had. Mm. If this were a video podcast, which is not really a podcast, so... Fuck all those guys. Uh you would see
2: No, 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 no. Those guys are fine. We just can't do that because of contractual stuff, etc. Those blah, guys blah. are fine.
3: Joe Rogan. If you could see Toby <laughs> Ball, yeah,
2: but critical role. you would see
3: that he has a Frankenstein like scar over his right eye that he got doing what? Uh dueling with swords. No. Yeah. No,
2: spoiler alert, don't spoil it.
3: I won't spoil it. That's we're gonna content. talk about Toby's mishap, and then we're gonna have a discussion on which of the four of us will have the worst sports injury in 2023? Oh, <laughs> also on Patreon, you get the latest edition of Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker. This episode, Laura goes couch shopping. Mm. Laura, do you want to explain to everybody why you're out buying furniture?
1: Yeah, um, so I moved into a new single lady condo recently, Ooh. and woo. Me and the cats and I needed a new couch and I hadn't gone couch shopping in a while. So the ladies and I headed off to Route 1 in a town in New Hampshire where there are a lot of other nefarious things happening and (laughs) had some adventures. Yes. Route 1.
3: Route 1.
1: The Notorious Route
3: One. Yeah. Also known as New Hampshire's Bone Valley.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and also you can hear the latest episode of Married with Podcasts where Rebecca and I dish also out advice. Also known as
2: New Hampshire's Bone Valley. Also known as New Hampshire's <laughs>
3: Bone Valley. We answer a question from a listener whose husband painstakingly made a handcrafted piece of jewelry and it's not her style. Right. And so she wants to know how to handle that. Yes. If you want to hear our... Uh, Advice on that, or you want to hear any one of the other 325 exclusive podcasts we have behind that paywall, just join us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You can hear all of that, including Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. And thus ends the business
2: actual. What? not before one thing. I would like to uh, welcome one new patron to our Patreon. Okay. I would like to welcome Bone Valley host Gilbert King, one of our latest patrons to our Patreon, who joined after we interviewed Gilbert King for our Patreon. Well, you
3: wanted to go back and listen to that, so...
2: (laughs) We would have just sent you the file, Gilbert. You didn't have to pay for it. Shh, shh,
3: shh, ixnay on the...
2: (laughs) But even the Pulitzer Prize winner, Gilbert King, is paying for that content. You can, too. Join us there. But even if you don't, thanks for sitting through this business section. Kevin, does thus end it?
3: Yeah, thus ends the business section.
2: Okay.
0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com/metaverseimpact.
2: Lara Bricker, how surprised were you that Sheriff Villanueva sat down for not one, but two long-form interviews. <laughs> With Frank
1: Stoltz for this podcast. I thought that was really interesting because Frank obviously has been around a long time. You know, as we learn in the beginning, he's been reporting in that area since 1991, right around the era when Rodney King was seen being beaten on videotape. So he's he's got a long history. He's got good reporting chops. So we know he's not going to mince questions and like pussyfoot around. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting when they sit down. The one that really surprised me is when he then sat down with him a second time at the end of this podcast, which I thought was like actually like the perfect ending because he's like, why did you sit down with me again or whatever? And it's like, well, just to tell you how you're you could be reporting differently because like he's like bound and determined to like change the way that frank is reporting and asking questions (laughs) and all this
0: well my goal one day is to reform you and to make you a credible journalist and i still hold out hope for you that one day you'll embrace the concept that there's a corrupt establishment and an honest man is never welcome in a den of thieves you're not kidding are you no i'm not i'm dead serious
1: there is definitely something in this guy, like this rigid part of his personality that is got a little something going on there. Because I think to sit down for both of those interviews, I mean, good for him. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't even do it. Yeah, I know those of us who have done reporting here have been in situations where people that are in these, you know, on the hot seat for various issues just are like, no comment, no comment. And so you're like, OK, you got to respect the fact that he sat down. But then you're like, um, but did he really actually... Answer anything? Mm, not really. Okay,
2: this is where it becomes clear to me. A little bit answers my earlier question about what the deal is with this guy. Yeah, where you want to believe that there's something there that means more than just waking up in the morning and I'm an evil person, etc., etc., etc. This is clearly somebody who only has one worldview, which is that what I'm saying is the truth and nothing else is true, and. I don't understand what journalism is, except for repeating what it is that I'm saying. Right. Mm -hmm. Because he talks to Frank about I'm coming to talk to you again to change who you are as a journalist, because what journalism means is you just agreeing with what I'm saying. And that comes to bear when he tells Frank why it is that he likes going on Tucker Carlson's show.
3: Your priorities are so exactly in
0: the right place. I just have to ask you, are people thanking you for taking a stand on this? Well, I got a lot of people that are thanking me from across the political spectrum, except for yeah. one group, the woke left who somehow embrace this idea like it's another cultural war to fight and mandates.
3: Man, what, why didn't you run for governor?
2: <laughs> it doesn't seem, Kevin, like he's saying he's a fan of Tucker Carlson's, right? What he's right. saying is they let me talk and they listen to what I have to say, Right.
3: Yeah, you know, I find that if you are suddenly asked to appear on Tucker Carlson, it's time to reevaluate your life choices. Yeah. It's like if all of a sudden you are now Tucker Carlson's darling, you've somehow found yourself on the wrong side of everything. Mm. Like, I think actually Toby and I have like different views on whether or not... His whole thing about the screeds of the woke mob—whether or not that's performative, or whether he's come to believe that—Toby, I think he's actually come to believe that because I think he's been pushed that way over the past four years in his reactions. But I think have you been notes, given the you language think, for it? Yeah, you think that this is somewhat performative of him?
4: Uh, I guess so. I mean, I I don't necessarily think that his feelings are performative, but I think his going on Tucker Carlson. I think the way he talks about it is like, he probably is legitimately feels as though, you know, who he considers to be liberals don't understand what's necessary for his department to do the job that they do. And so they like kind of nitpick on things that are in fact essential, but the way it comes out is everybody loves me except for the liberal woke mob. And he's saying it on Tucker Carlson and it's just, you know, Those are like signal words, right? I mean, he's not really. He
2: was given the language for it, right?
4: He's just showing up on Tucker Carlson and being like, I'm the sheriff of L.A. County, and I believe exactly the stuff that you guys say that you believe. And that's essentially what he's doing. And so I feel like that part of it's ingenuous. It, It wouldn't surprise me if he feels put upon by the demands or expectations of people who'd supported him in his first run for sheriff, thinking that he was going to be like running the department more in the way that they had envisioned. And that didn't turn out to be the case in most circumstances.
2: It would be such an interesting like differentiation if he, frankly, like a lot of Democrats, right, Mm -hmm. ran on this very progressive change platform that, by the way, a lot of progressives Should be smarter and know is actually an impossible thing to achieve, but they vote for anyway and got into office. And what usually happens is the person gets into office and says, well, here's the thing. (laughs) Like I ran and I said I was going to do all these things, but it turns out it's not actually possible because Mm -hmm. all these systems take a much longer time to dismantle and redo than I told you they would. Right. Like that's. Usually what happens, I mean, there's a few exceptions to that, like Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, obviously a big exception where he's just like firing people left and right or whatever. But that's the typical like change maker way. Like they overpromise both, not just liberals, but also conservatives. They make huge promises. They get in. They can't actually do what they say they're going to do. And then they explain why. Right. He's basically getting in. He can't do what he says he's going to do. And then he's basically like, well, it's because. People who said I made promises to, turns out they're wrong, right? Like, it's just a very different approach, but it's not that different. It's just he sort of chose a different team is the way that I, I kind of look at it. I don't know. It's, it's just, it speaks more to personality. I think Laura and, and Kevin, he's sort of not a, like
1: personality disorder maybe or something. Yeah, that's what I was. I mean, not that I would like, but there's something that's a little bit off. Yeah.
3: Well, it doesn't need to be like clinical. It could also just be a character flaw, That if you think everybody's coming after you, then, you know, this is where you're going to wind up building your own little Gestapo in the sheriff's department.
2: You run into an asshole in the morning, you run into an asshole in the afternoon. Probably you're the asshole, right? Uh, Laura, so um, we hear about deputy gangs in this podcast. Oh, my God. Thoughts?
1: Holy shit.
5: I saw him getting violently attacked, kicked, punched. You can tell when somebody's trying to defend themselves. His body's limp and they're kicking them and punching them like straight gangsters. Two deputies were knocked unconscious. One was choked, another was knocked out by fellow deputies.
1: That was I think the most interesting episode of a podcast that I've listened to in a long time. I was fascinated by that. I mean, we've heard about like unions and other organization of, you know, guards in jails and things, but this was like legit gangs and I was like Whoa. And when you heard about, like, here's this guy who ends up on the wrong floor, and they're like, yeah, this isn't your territory here or whatever. And I thought that was a really, really fascinating look at a culture inside a jail that I had not necessarily heard about. And I mean, that's kind of saying something. I used to go in the jails all the time. I used to hear all sorts of things when I worked at the public defender's office. And now, granted, I don't think we have like guard. Gangs in New Hampshire by far, but I was kind of surprised to hear how organized and entrenched that was. Well, and that was one of the interesting things when you were talking about him being interviewed and the sheriff agreeing to be interviewed is like, he's like, no, there's no such thing, like, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, the perception. that i did X, Y, Z, Z, and he goes through this list of things he's done so he's he's basically acknowledging that there was an issue even though he's being like there's no issue here do not look behind the curtain at the man from oz but actually i did all this to get rid of it so i thought that was just fascinating i, I don't think i'm the only one who did i think i'm sure kevin was uh, equally fascinated
3: Absolutely. I, I just i was shocked by the prevalence of these yeah. deputy gangs i think by the way one of the best TV cop dramas from the early part of the odds was The Shield with Michael Chiklis, and basically it's him and his four-guy strike team of cops, but they're all corrupt, and uh, they're going out and doing their thing, and and by the way, if you think Stringer Bell was a scary bad guy, of all people, Anthony Anderson played the bad guy in this, and he was fucking terrifying, Anyway, it was like, oh, what a novel anti-hero kind of setup. Here are four cops that are within the department, and the rest of the cops are kind of troubled by them, but uh, they're going out doing their own fucking thing. There are all different kinds of gangs. Now, in a jail, you could almost expect it because they're away from the prying eyes of the meddlesome public, but they've got guys out on patrol with gang tattoos you know, belonging to other gangs. Do these gangs beef with each other, too? These the, the sheriff deputies beefing with these other sheriff deputies, beefing with the guys on the street? I don't know how you pull that apart. All right, we were looking at stuff. Uh, I think it was the slow hustle. It you know, looks at corruption in the Baltimore Police Department. In your head, you're like, oh, well, we could just get rid of those guys and things will be good. How do you pull these gangs apart from within the sheriff's department? It's incredible.
2: The episode where they had the guy who was talking through the actor's voice about how the initiation happened. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: How that, you know, young cops who weren't yet members of the gang, they had to pay in to the systems that the deputy gang members could go on vacations and get beer for their parties. One moment that I loved was when Frank was talking about how Villanueva disputed the term deputy gangs because he called it racist Because a lot of the gangs had, you know, like, Latino cops as members, you know, the banditos and so forth. And Frank was like, well, you know, federal law enforcement divine to find the gang thusly.
5: Like street gangs, these groups of deputies have initiation rights, matching tattoos, hand signs, and leaders called shot callers. They try to control certain stations like gangs control territory. They intimidate and harass people who don't support them. And yes... They are alleged to have engaged in criminal activity.
2: Then when you hear this other cop talk about what's happening in his precinct, it's like tick, 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 tick. It is freaking terrifying when you think about the fact that this is what is patrolling in these communities. It is terrifying. Toby, what was your thought on these deputy gangs? Didn't you think like this could be the subject of its own like... Incredi- I mean, it, I know there's been a lot of reporting on it, like we heard about Cerise's reporting and we heard about other reporting happening, but this could be like an incredible investigative series in and of itself from LAS Studios, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I heard about a lot of this stuff from a New Yorker article that came out earlier this year. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I I agree with Kevin. It's it's It seems kind of intractable. You know, I, I don't know what... Via Nueva, like what his thought was upon coming into that position about what he wanted to do, if anything, about the deputy gangs. But it seems like he pretty quickly kind of realized that he wasn't going to get anywhere. If memory serves, the New Yorker article made a bigger deal about this this guy, the the domestic abuser who he brings on as his like assistant or a right hand man. And how he was really tied to these these gangs, and that that was kind of seen as as once he came on, the the gangs kind of knew that they didn't have to worry, right they they had their guy in with the sheriff, so I'm sure there's somebody who's writing a uh you know, a prestige TV drama about sheriff's gangs in l a yep. mean, I would watch it,
2: yep, and I, I just want to give a nod to cerise Castle. She actually has a fifteen part investigative series knock la tradition of violence the history of deputy gangs in the los angeles county sheriff's department frank mentioned cerise in the podcast she's a former employee of kcrw that's a whole other long ass story uh but she's an incredible reporter and she's the reporter that we heard was intimidated by the sheriff's department after her reporting came out um and i would definitely recommend following her reporting everywhere and anywhere
3: And she's like, you didn't like the last report? Well, you're not going to like the next one.
0: Exactly. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts.
5: Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness.
0: He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients Mm -hmm. who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at Meta.com slash Metaverse Impact.
2: All right, so let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Imperfect Paradise, The Sheriff from L.A. Studios? Of course, that's also KPCC, Southern California Public Radio. Laura Bricker, what do you think of Imperfect Paradise, The Sheriff?
1: I loved this podcast. I like this more than anything we've listened to in in quite a while, it was something, was an issue that, you know, triggered my sort of sense of injustice. We had a host who was kind of pulling back the curtain on his reporting process in a way that was both interesting, but also showing that we're dealing with somebody who's very experienced and isn't afraid to ask tough questions in issues that were really interesting within this, you know, including gangs within the guards, within the jails in this area. So I just thought this was really interesting. It had a lot of good reporting. The episodes were tight and didn't have a lot of extra fluff, but they were very engaging. And it was something that when it was done, I was like, huh, that was a good podcast. So thumbs up. Toby Ball.
4: Uh, yeah, I really like this as well. It's really, it's kind of a reporter's podcast. Like you you follow the reporter, Frank Stoltz, and you get a sense of the atmosphere in which he's reporting it, which is fairly fraught, I think. Uh, there is a sense of menace towards uh, the press, but the, the subject's really interesting. And again, I, I think it's super well reported. Anyway, I give it a big thumbs up. Scott, uh, it, it, it ticks a lot of my boxes, I would say.
3: Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. I think Frank Stoltz is a real pleasure to listen to, a guy with decades of radio experience and uh, gravitas, by the way, dropping your own archival tape, stuff that you're in. That's a flex. I love that. In a way, it's just simple, and it's polished in that way. It leans heavily on a a pair of interviews that he does with the sheriff, and that really makes this a rich podcast because he can then – Take all the data points that he's gotten from his reporting and put them up to them. In not really a terribly confrontational way, but in a very smart way. I, I really think this is a, an excellent podcast, and uh, I'm recommending folks listen to it. Thumbs up.
2: I liked it too. I, I will say the thing that triggers reporters to be able to be brave enough to say things like this: person in a position of power who was elected did something baffling and awful nothing will give permission to a reporter to say something that sounds like that more than them going after another reporter, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what happened here. I wish journalists would do that more when it's not something like them going after another reporter, when it's them doing something also that is ridiculous and awful that isn't them just going after another journalist. But that's what happened here. And sometimes that's what it takes. And I'm glad that they did this podcast because it is brave of a journalism outlet to say, this is fucked up when there's an election happening. That is brave. And that is... To
3: say you're blowing smoke up my ass.
2: That actually, but honestly, it isn't something that a lot of journalism outlets like a public radio outlet would do, especially during an election cycle. And I actually think it's a very cool thing that they did this project. I love, by the way, the scoring of this podcast, the percussive scoring is very, very cool. Couple like weird, pausey, mixy issues. Very, very minor. I have one complaint about this podcast. And I told you, Kevin, One complaint. What is it? In the credits. (laughs) Frank says something like, this podcast was reported by a bunch of us and hosted by me, Frank Stoltz. I'm like, you know what? There is no time limit on credits, Frank. That's right. Just fucking say who the podcast was reported by. You can list 20 names. It's fine. This
3: guy in the back is like, I worked on this for nine
2: months. (laughs) Or just like, say six people in each episode. Like everybody who did some piece of reporting for this, just say their names, get it on their CV. They deserve the clip.
3: You don't have to hit the post at the top of the hour, Frank. I
2: don't care if this was an agreement that everyone made in the newsroom. Ultimately, like give everybody the credit. For God's sakes, it's a podcast, just like a TV show. Anyone who did journalism in anything, put their name on the thing. If that's my only complaint about the podcast, though, it means it's a pretty damn good podcast. Big thumbs up for me for Imperfect Paradise, the sheriff. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. Police are investigating a melee between rival gangs outside of a concert at San Diego's Petco Park. One man was stabbed, another arrested in a turf war between rival hot dog vendors. Why would they get into a fight over Frank's? Allegedly, a group of vendors from Los Angeles traveled to San Diego and set up in locations used by local vendors. Then this beef got red hot as a dozen people started brawling. Cops had to break up the rumble with pepper spray. Authorities say vendors needed a permit to sling dogs and it's unclear whether the LA group had them. But local vendors have a message for them. Keep your buns out of our city. Panel, don't mess around with hot dog gangs. By the way, what gang name should we give them? Lara Bricker, what do you think? Uh, Franks, feisty Franks fighters? I don't know. <laughs> That's not bad. Toby, what I do you think? No what gang name should be given to these hot dog slingers?
3: Uh, the Droopy Wieners. Oh, what do you think, oh, Kevin? One, Toby. The Mean Mr. Mustards.
2: I'm thinking the Pound Puppies. Pound oh, Puppies. Yeah. All right, Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and say hi on any social media site, I don't know, and say, whatever, Laura Bricker, I can help you find a couch. How can they reach you online?
1: They can find me at Laura Bricker. Yeah, my cats are already destroying my new couch. Bad cats. Uh. Well, you can just spray that with some stuff and keep them from doing that, Toby. But what about doesn't you? Doesn't
2: work. How, how can you? it? Does I don't know. I've had some it tricks. Well, oh, that's true. I'm not a cat. I'm not a cat <laughs> owner. I'm not a cat owner anymore. This is why I have dogs. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on social media. How can they find you?
4: At Toby Ball NH.
2: Kevin Flynn.
3: I'm at Kevin P. Flynn.
2: And you can follow me on all the social media apps. I'm trying to grab my handles everywhere, but mostly I'm on Twitter or Instagram at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And please join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to Facebook, search for Crime Writers On, hit join the group answer a couple questions we will let you in if you're not an a-hole support the show at patreon.com partners in crime media you get the crime writers on after show married with podcast lara brickers leave it to bricker podcast and toby ball's deep dive book club podcasts our theme song was composed and performed by ty gibbons our line editor is the very wonderful olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement, where we keep our own enemies list of other podcasters. On behalf Cut of my eye on you, Payne Lindsay. On behalf of all the crime writers, happy birthday, Payne. Thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Oh, my God. <laughs>
3: Laura <laughs> Bricker appears as a cat avatar.
1: <laughs> troubling.
3: <Yep. laughs> troubling. Uh,
4: it's a
1: cat with a hoodie, isn't it? Cool.
4: No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's super, super cool.
1: Are Are you naked behind there? Is that why you're? Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm totally naked in my uh, bachelorette pad. <laughs>
0: in crime, crime media. media.